starting the book of Galatians or the epistle to the church at Galatia, and I'm excited about it. All right, let's go through some announcements. I didn't get to announce this at the first service uh, because it wasn't available, but uh, I'm sorry, this headpiece, we have a brand new one. I'm going to have it in the third service, they told me. Right, Tony? Uh, It's right there. Maybe I'll have it even before then. All right, uh, so... Uh, we're having a dessert auction in the library after the 9.30 and the 11.15 service. And uh, we weren't allowed to announce it at the 8 a.m. service because it's too early and they don't eat desserts. Um, but you guys, uh, there'll be an auction afterwards. You can be a part of it. And I don't know how it works, but just come and buy something. Give me a second here. Uh, all right. Can you, is it working? Okay. All right. All right, uh, then we have the uh, sign-up for the Mystery of Marriage. It's um, uh, a married and single home group. Uh, we're doing home groups uh, around our community, and I'm encouraging you all to sign up for those. And there's, there's a home group in, there, in your community. All the tables are out there. Just look at the map, sign up. Um, there's married groups, single groups. It's a total blessing, and I'd encourage you to sign up. Now, this is the, yeah, it's, hang on. like the thermostat you wanted to get fixed and they keep saying it will be but it never does all right uh easter celebration sorry had to throw that out there it's just a little irritating easter celebration uh we have uh good friday service 12 to 1 and then the purchase tickets for the seder dinner is uh 35 bucks and 10 bucks for kids and we need folks to sign up for that pastor marty's going to be putting it on this year and then our easter sunday service we're doing at the civic arts plaza and we have a stack of those cards for all of you to hand out, and I'd encourage you to do that and invite people. And uh, you can even sign up to go out on the streets and share. Uh, a lot of folks go out and pass them out in the malls, etc. So we're going to have that. I wanted to encourage you tonight for prayer. It's from 5 to 6. And uh, please fill out your prayer request forms. It's a great blessing to us, especially praise reports, because we share those at the beginning. And if you've had an answer to prayer, share that with us so we can participate together in thanking the Lord. And then... Um, we're just going to thank the Lord for the offering. Uh, before we do that, let me just say this. Uh, the Gideons, when they come, and that's who our special guests are, I love the Gideons. They're an amazing ministry. I'll tell you more about them in a minute. But uh, uh, Oliver, who I've known for most of the time, I've been a senior pastor here in uh, the Conejo Valley. Oliver said, uh, are we going to be able to receive an offering or anything? I said, we don't pass an offering bag around at Calvary Chapel. Uh, and the reason why is the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not out of guilt or compulsion, and you purpose in your heart beforehand what you're going to return to the Lord, and, and that's how we operate. Uh, and I said, don't worry, Oliver, you'll get more from us than you're going to get from any other church, I guarantee it. And, uh, and, and we, we, want, I, we want to support ministries, and that's what we do. But my feeling is, I don't ever want an offering bag to go by you, because if that's the thing that triggers you to give, that's not maturity in Christ. The realization is, Lord, I want to return to you that which is yours and wait upon you and watch as God sanctifies the remainder. And that's how we trust him. Those are those things that we studied last week. The three things of maturity is, is uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. And we just watch that. Those are all aspects of faith. And we grow in our, our trust of the Lord when we, we grow in those areas in our lives. So let's thank the Lord for the offering. And let's ask his blessing and ask for wisdom on how to apply it. Lord, this is a, an act of worship. This is where, by faith, your word says that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And Lord, we think of those three things that require faith. We're, we're not going to return something to someone, to someone we don't believe in. We're certainly not going to give a tenth of our income to a God we don't trust or believe in. 
We're certainly not going to pray to a God we don't believe in, and we're certainly not going to fast for a God we don't believe in. Those all require faith. And Lord, we know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And faith is believing in things not seen. And so, Lord, we come to this place where you give us enough to be able to trust you by faith. And, and, and yet, Lord, not so much that we would neglect you. And so, God, we thank you for this relationship that you've given us. We ask, Lord, that as we return this offering to you, that you would give us wisdom to apply it for your greater glory. I'm mindful of the Gideons, Lord. I ask your blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, that you would meet their needs. And so thankful for, I think it's over 100 years of ministry that you have entrusted to them, that they have been faithful through all these years to present your word all throughout this, this globe of ours. So many different languages, and yet, Lord, faithful to that task. So, Lord, we thank you. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Gideons, uh, I love this ministry. I was sharing earlier that uh, I, I came to know the Gideons through a man named Franklin Steinberg, who uh, I met him when he was about 98 years young, and he had stopped water skiing at like 96 um, he was a carpenter by trade. He was an amazing guy. We were working in San Jose at a piece of property there. Michelle and I were on staff in the church. We had taken it over from an Assemblies of God uh, congregation, and it was struggling. It was $8 million in debt. It was about to be on the front page of the newspaper because they had done some funny accounting business and everything. And Calvary Chapel came in to shore up the church and resolve their debt and, and fix it up. But at the time, it was 11 acres of property. We were completely broke. Uh, the church had gone through split after split, and uh, we were just trying to keep that thing going. And basically, you would, you would work to the day, and in the evening, you'd go out and you'd try to fix stuff. And they would give us work orders uh, to go replace bathrooms or hinges or doors. And I wasn't a carpenter, and, and a lot of the things, the guys on staff, we couldn't fix some of the carpentry stuff. And, and uh, it was really depressing. And so I, we would find time and again that we'd take the work order and it'd be about 2 o'clock in the morning because that's when we'd finish our normal stuff. And then we'd go to fulfill the work order. We'd go into the classroom where they said they needed something. We'd walk in and it would already be finished. We're like, what? How, how'd that get fixed? You go into another classroom with another work order and that one's fixed. And you're baffled by it. And it wasn't until later that we found out what was happening. Franklin Steinberg at 98 years of age would be walking into these classrooms. He'd fix them without us knowing. And he would do all this work quietly and unassumingly unto the Lord. And I was so touched by the man that I wanted to know what made him tick. He started talking to me about the, the Gideons. And at 98, he'd go out and he'd stand in front of the street corner, you know, and at the schools and pass out the scriptures to the kids. And he just had a joy of the Lord and told me about the Gideons and started getting me plugged in. And I purpose that if I ever became a senior pastor, I'd want to support the Gideons. And I love their ministry. I remember hearing... Um, uh, a, a spokesperson for the Gideons, they'd had a, a dinner, and I went to it, and it was an IRA activist, a, a guy who had been arrested in England for, you know, being a terrorist, an IRA terrorist, and he had come to know Christ in the prison, and it all came about by a Gideon Bible. He had received a New Testament, and he, he, he got it because it had that really cool onion skin paper, uh, and he would roll his cigarettes with it, and he smoked Matthew, Mark, Luke, and halfway through John, he received the Lord, so... <laughs> So many stories like that in regards to the Gideon. I love their ministry, and I want to welcome Bob. Come on up. He, Bob's going to share with us. In, in his first time was at the 8 o'clock service. You guys are in for a treat. God bless Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Well, good morning. Good morning. 
I wanted to uh, share this morning a, 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 a topic that's really not high on everybody's list, and that's the, uh, uh, the occasional circumstance where we receive bad news. And bad news can come in the form of, uh, of, of, of something simple like uh, being challenged with a, uh, a riddle first thing in the morning, uh, forgetting to move your clock forward. Uh, but there are times when, when bad news can be on the other end of the spectrum. I'd like to show an image up on the screen. What you're, what you're seeing here is a, is a cranial scan of a, of a 19-year-old girl. The mass in the center here is a brain tumor. The areas around the outside are uh, referred to as hydrocephalus. At the time the, the image was taken here, uh, the young girl's life was in jeopardy. Back up two months, uh, she was involved in, a, in an automobile accident. Uh, she was uh, struck from behind, uh, sitting at an intersection by herself, uh, the speeding car that came up behind her skidded for over 100 feet. The driver didn't swerve to the right. He didn't swerve to the left. He impacted her car directly from behind. Uh, the force of the impact was so great that it pushed her through the intersection, and uh, she wound up on the center median. Now move forward to the time of the scan. You can take down the image now. Her parents took her to the hospital, and... and they fully expected that the bad news they would receive would be that, that the, the distress she was experiencing was coming from or related to the accident. Uh, her, her condition seemed to degrade uh, by the moment. The news that they received was something they weren't prepared for. Um, emergency surgery was called for. The prognosis was very poor. There was a possibility over 50% that, that she would perish on the operating table, that if she did survive the surgery, a plus 90% chance that she would be rendered simple. Truly bad news, especially for a young woman who uh, is 19 years old and was planning on going into the medical profession. I'd like each of you to put your hand over your heart. Every time your heart beats, Gideon's International distributes scriptures to two individuals worldwide. That is 77 million copies of God's word annually. To date, the Gideons have distributed over 1.7 billion scriptures to those desperately seeking the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who are the Gideons? Well, we're, we're an organization of, of professional or, or businessmen who are dedicated to reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. We do this by sharing our faith. We do this by distributing copies of God's word. And we, are, we partner with churches like, like Calvary. We, uh, we are all members in good standing of, of a church, and we all profess our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, many of you are familiar with, with the, the Gideon Hotel Bible, this one. You've seen it in hotels if you travel. But we also deliver New Testaments to middle schools, to high schools, to police and fire, to our military personnel, uh, to jails, and to prisons. And as Pastor Rob said, many people have come to know the Lord by having a New Testament that was given by the Gideons. Now back to the story of the 19-year-old girl. She, uh, 
She had to undergo uh, many surgical procedures, uh, two full craniotomies. That's where a portion of your, your skull is removed to uh, give access uh, to the areas concerned for the doctors. She uh, had four shunt surgeries, which were uh, tubes that were uh, in, uh, in place to uh, relieve uh, recurring hydrocephalus. She went through rounds of chemotherapy. She uh, went through 29 straight days of directed radiation treatment. And through every procedure, God was with her. Through the power of prayer, through the support of local churches like Calvary, through the power of the word of God, she experienced miracle upon miracle. Specific answers to specific prayers. And four years later, if you can put the image up on the screen, this is her today. This picture was taken last September 23rd. Uh, she was married to her junior high school sweetheart. And uh, I had the privilege of walking her down the aisle. Um, uh, this is my younger daughter, Jamie, my youngest daughter, Jamie. Thank you. And as a, as a, a dad and a, and a Christian man, I couldn't imagine going through a circumstance like this without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Today in the United States alone, it's estimated that there are over 200 million individuals who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior who are lost. And we ask this morning that you would support the Gideon's ministry. Help us reach the lost by donating this morning. There's an envelope uh, in your bulletin. And if you're not prepared to give this morning, please take this home with you and prayerfully consider what God would have you do. Um, as, we, as we sang this morning, I want to uh, finish with a, with a scripture verse, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for good, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that means that the news, even bad news, auto accidents, can actually be used for good by by God. And we have nothing to fear if we're uh, in his grace. And we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior because all news is just news. And we, we thank you this morning. And Pastor Rob, thank you for allowing us to be part of your service. Thanks, Bob. All right. Is that working? We got a new one. <laughs> you just complain a little bit and you get something. Um, I just wanted to encourage you, as a congregation, we support the Gideons, but I'd also encourage you all to individually ask the Lord if you want to be a part of this amazing ministry, and it really is. It's just an amazing ministry, and God bless you guys for all you do in our community. Amen? All right. Okay, um, I'll tell you what. Uh, we're going we're gonna to undertake a study this morning in the book of Galatians. We finished uh, our, our last study in James, and now we're undergoing a study in the book of Galatians. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. So turn there. If you don't have a Bible, these fine gentlemen, they're going to pass them out for you. Raise your hand. They'll get you one. Just raise it up nice and high. Say, over here, over here. And they'll get you a Bible. Galatians chapter 1. I'm excited about this, um, this epistle. Epistle means letter. Um, we were actually going to study Galatians uh, before, and I'd, I'd had Aaron Marks put together the, um, the flyer for it, 
and then I just didn't sense the Lord wanting us to go in that direction, so I, I kind of put it on hold. I love the book of Galatians. It's been one of the most freeing books in my Christian walk. As we undertake this study together, um, and you pay attention, and you apply these truths, your Christian walk will be forever changed. Uh, there will be a revolutionary verse that we're going to get to that's going to floor you. Uh, you can, I'll, I'll give you a hint of it now. It's Galatians 2.20. Uh, don't go there. Don't turn. I'm just telling you. You guys, oh, what is it? What is it? Stop it. <laughs> we're going to go bit by bit. All right. But uh, we're going to begin this morning uh, with Galatians chapter one. So what we do is we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and we'll sit for the word of the teacher. So if you'd stand with me, I'd appreciate it. This epistle was written by the apostle Paul and uh, it was to the church, actually churches, not just one church, although there was a town uh, Galatia. There was also a, uh, a region called Galatia. It'd be like saying, I'm going to New York. And you're saying New York City or the state of New York. That's Galatia. The Romans had given this entire territory the same name as a city name. And so there's a, a, a confusion there. But Paul's writing to a number of churches, most of which he planted. And so let's pick up and take a look at what Paul has to say. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul An apostle, not of men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read a couple more verses, though we won't really cover them. Verse 6 says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Everyone say gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, who may even be named Moroni, Sorry, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Did y'all hear me say Moroni? That's an angel in the Mormon religion. So I just thought I'd throw that out there and I'll talk about it a little bit. Let's pray. Lord, I didn't seek to offend, but I, I do desire to open our eyes to what it is Paul is saying. But Holy Spirit, you're the one who leads us into all truth. And Lord, there's no man who can cause your word to come alive. But Lord, what you can do is you can cause us to come alive to your word because your word is already alive. It's living, it's breathing, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so Lord, as we undertake this study... I pray that you would lead us into all truth, that you would strengthen us, and that you would bless us, Lord, that we would be equipped to serve you in a greater way. Lord, I know there's a lot of folks in this room who are struggling with with how they're supposed to do this Christian life. There are some that have thought about it, desire to venture into it, but it just seems daunting and overwhelming. And Lord, just all of the different religions out there and all the things that we're faced with, as humans on this earth, what, what sets this apart, God? What makes it different? And so I ask, Lord, that you administer now to all who are present. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat, please.
This, uh, this epistle, um, and again, epistle means letter. It was written by Paul to the churches in this region of Galatia. And in this region that we speak of, it's a, it's a region that had Lystra and Derby and Iconium. And, and it's, it's in what, what we consider modern day Turkey today. And the Apostle Paul had traveled to each of these different cities, and he'd set up churches in these cities. And every time he'd go into these cities, he'd be kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. He'd be left for dead. He'd spend time in prison. He'd, he wouldn't call ahead to see what the hotels were like. He'd call ahead to see what the prisons were like. And this was Paul's life. And, and through blood and sweat and tears, he would plant these churches, and he would pour his life into these little fellowships. And then when he would leave, uh, he would leave a, a healthy church, and he would go on to the next city to establish another church. And these churches were strong and they were growing and God was blessing. And that was Paul's life. And he was a tent maker. He wouldn't come in, ask him for a dime. He'd just work his tail off and he would pour into these churches. He'd plant them, leave them to another pastor like a Timothy or someone along those lines or a Titus. And then he would go on to the next city. Well, now what's occurring is as Paul has been taking this missionary journey and he would take three in the course of his time. He had finished this one going through the Galatian territory, and he had set up these churches. And as soon as he would leave, uh, he would leave this region, and these churches would be healthy. In would come these knuckleheads called Judaizers, and Judaizers would come in, and they would they would take what Paul built, and they would pervert it, and they'd mess with it. And the way they'd mess with it is, is they would come in and they would, they would see that, that, that Paul would establish these churches uh, similar to what you see in the book of Ephesians where it says, it's by grace you've been saved and that not of works, it is a gift of God lest any man should boast. So we've been saved by grace through faith and that is not of ourselves, it's a gift of God lest any man should boast. And, and, and it, this, was, this was transformative because there wasn't any other religion in the world that was like this. What Christianity was declaring is that we need to be made right with God, and there's only two ways to do it. You can try to earn favor with God by, by following all the rules, and then God has to find favor with you because you're perfect and you've, you've earned that righteousness. Or the op- other one is you realize, I can't earn God's favor. I'm a loser. Every time I try, I screw up. I don't know about you, but that totally defines me. Anyone else? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, there's a religion for us? Where? No, three-dimensional loser. Where? Where? Where is it? And, 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 and that's where Paul would come in and say, Christ's righteousness is put on your account. His righteousness is put on your account. He fulfilled the law. His blood was holy. He was without sin. He died in your place. He paid the penalty. And you received by faith. And it's God's grace that's put upon you. And all your sins, past, present, and future, wiped clean. What? Losers are allowed in? You betcha. Not these people that pick themselves up by their bootstraps and they follow the law and they're just totally moral and wonderful and they wear neat suits and they have little badges and they come to your door? No! No! It, there's room for people like you, Rob. And all of a sudden, the world was being revolutionized. But with every truth, there's always, there always comes a counterfeit, right? Yes? It's not like, has anyone ever seen a Guatemalan quetzal? <laughs> what? It's, it's the currency. It's called a quetzal. Of course you haven't. Nobody is forging them. No, they forge American money. Right? Because it's valuable. At least it used to be. Just keep printing it. 
but they forge that which has value, right? And so they come in to forge the real deal. And, and, and the word that is used in the original Greek is gospel. And I had you guys say this idea of gospel. And the word gospel means good news. Everyone say good news. Ulangelion is, is the, the term in the Greek, and, and it, it means good news. And there's good news for losers. That Christ's righteousness is put on your account, and your sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And you're a new creature in Christ. The old goes away, the new comes. It's an amazing work of God. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all have to get there on our knees and in humility. Amen? That's the beauty of it. We're all wretches, and we're just beggars showing other beggars where the food is. I like it. And so Paul's preaching the good news, the same good news that Jesus preached. And, and all of a sudden, the counterfeiters come in, and they want to counterfeit the good news, and they call it a different gospel, different gospel. And the different gospel was this. The Judaizers were folks because most of the early converts were Jews, and the Jews thought that their righteousness came by the observation of the law, right? But if they really looked at their scriptures, they would realize that salvation didn't come by observation of the law because it was Abraham. The scripture says in Genesis that Abraham believed God. Everyone said Abraham believed God. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. That's in, I think, Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. That was before the Levitical law. That was before Moses. That was before everything. He believed God. It was accredited to him as righteousness. So it's by faith he'd been saved. Paul would go on to point that out. Paul was a Jew. Paul was one who'd been raised in the synagogue. Paul was one who'd been raised in the temple. He was a Pharisee. He was a Sanhedrin. This guy spoke the equivalent of eight different languages. He probably had the equivalent of three doctorate degrees. And now he's serving the Lord. And he, he leaves his city preaching this gospel of grace, salvation by grace, that you receive by faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And these Judaizers who had perverted the original picture that God had established are now coming in and saying, no, you're not a real Christian until you observe all the Levitical laws. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be a Christian. I'd just give that up because it doesn't allow bacon. And I don't know what kind of a religion <laughs> bans Bacon. Bacon is a perfect food. A pig is an amazing animal. You feed it an apple and it turns it into bacon. It's amazing, isn't it? Bacon is meat candy. It's the best. I love bacon. So where was I? Bacon. <laughs> I have a great shirt. I'll wear it sometime, but not today. Um, so, so these, these Judaizers would come in and they'd say, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, salvation by grace. We got that. And that Jesus paid the penalty of your sins. But the reality is there's no salvation without observation of the law. You need circumcision. You, 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 you have to, these are the days you can go to church. These are all the, okay. And you're not a Christian until you observe the Levitical laws. And they, they were like, wow, uh, that's heavy. And, and. It's interesting for Christians, and we, we fall prey to this. It wasn't just the Judaizers. We fall prey to it today in, in the Protestant realm of churches. It, we, we are creatures of habit. We love people to tell us how to be righteous. 
If you do this, this, and this, then you're going to be doing really well. I'll give you proof of it. Go into a Christian bookstore, and all the books are 12 steps to a wonderful, vibrant Christian walk, 12 steps to a happier marriage, 7 steps to a 8 steps to a 5 steps, 116 different steps, 365 steps to a nightmare life. And, and everyone's going, oh, how many? Oh, I've never done that before. Oh, 11 steps. Oh, you're doing it in seven. Oh, oh. And we, we love to have rules. If I do this and I get this, and then you owe me this. And God's saying, no, no, you see, this relationship I've called you into is unlike anything you've ever had before. You see, it's, it's what we call love relationship. It's not a have to, it's a get to. You don't have to do this for me to love you. I love you in spite of whether you do it or you don't do it. No, really, I do. It's agape love. In spite of, I love you. I love you. It's the same thing that God desires in a husband and a wife. That the, you know, Christ is the groom, we're the bride. And it's a microcosmic picture in marriage of Christ's love for the church. And the idea is, is the husband initiates and lays down his life. And the bride responds and the two become one flesh. And let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you having the same love, being of like mind. And, and this is that beauty of marriage. And I don't go home every night because I wear a wedding ring or I said some words in front of a minister. I, I go home because I love my wife. I don't do these things because I have to. I do them because I want to. Now, oftentimes in our selfishness, we, we, we do things because we have to, not really realizing the great joy that comes in a life of surrender and willingness to surrender. And Paul's walking into these churches and he's seeing that these Judaizers have come in saying, the only way God will love you is if you eat this, go to church on this day and act this way and do this to your body. It's the only way God's going to love you. And Paul is just, he's upset. And he says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You see, it was, it was Martin Luther who called this the battle cry of the Reformation, this, this, this epistle. He loved the book of Galatians. Martin Luther loved the book of, of Galatians. Uh, Galatians is the trumpet blast of freedom in Christ. It's what has been called the declaration of independence for Christians. This, this entire epistle is all about liberty and freedom. It is such a significant book that it transformed the Western world and the country you now reside in under the declaration of independence that has been our birth certificate for over 235 years is a direct result of this epistle. Yes. It declares freedom. Liberty. That Christ gives us that freedom. Freedom from the curse of the law and over the power of sin. Freedom to serve a living God. Freedom. Freedom. It's the charter of Christian freedom. It transformed the world as we know it. But what was so amazing is this declaration of freedom, this, this charter of liberty almost was crushed by men who came in to steal that. And they try to steal it today from you too. You see, they try to govern by more rules and regulations. 
You know what rules and regulations bring? Bondage. God gave us ten commandments. In the wisdom of our Congress, just the tax laws alone. I don't know even how thick that book must be. God gave us ten laws. We've managed to make bazillions. We regulate everything. To the point where no one can even function. Try to be a businessman in California with all the regulations and rules. You're under bondage. They usurp all of that authority. They usurp all of that freedom and they take it from you. And you have, you know, Thomas Jefferson said, freedom is having choices. You take away those choices, you have less freedom. The way they do that is they take your income. You have 100% of your income, they take 50% of it. You have 50% less choices, 50% less freedom. They take 65% of it, you have 65% less choices, 65% less freedom. 75% tax rate, you have 75% less freedoms, 75% less choices. There you go. They take it all. You're called a slave. You're called a slave. You do your bidding for another man. They don't have to labor. They don't have to sweat. They just take, I, I, I marvel. You go and you purchase something, and, and I've watched this, and I, I talked to the person behind the counter. I just said, do you realize that the state government just got $40, and they weren't even here? They just, they got more in, in this than you got in a tip. Did you, did, did you see this? They just, they just took this. Who, who are they? They're the ones that come in to promise you freedom. They're the ones who come in to promise you these things. That's why our government was limited. That's why our founding fathers looked at a book like this and said, freedom doesn't come by a, a, an immense pile of rules and regulations. And Alexis de Tocqueville, who, who was a French philosopher and a historian who was the first to observe America in its founding years, and the first one to declare who, what an American looked like, Alexis de Tocqueville said, there's nothing less independent, there's nothing less independent than a free citizen. You didn't get it, I can tell by your response. I'll do it again. There's nothing less independent than a free citizen. What does that mean? That means Jesus said, I've come that they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. You see, freedom is what we love in this nation and we declare it. Land of the free, home of the brave, yes? We cherish freedom, don't we? But freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what is right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. However, in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. The scripture declares. The apostle Paul would say, those good things that I want to do, I don't do those. Those awful things that I don't want to do anymore, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, let's think about that. This is the great apostle Paul. He's writing this epistle. He said that. Let me show you what that means. Anyone in the room ever said, I swear to God, I will never do that again? Anybody? Because if not you, certainly me. 
I've done it enough to have you all raise your hands. Now, have you ever said anything similar to that? Please, right now, raise your hand. How many of you did it again? Raise your hand. You are pathetic. Welcome to the church of losers. Amen? Losers unite. Wait, losers unite, yes. Raise the roof, yeah. See, that's, that's the secret. The only way we have freedom, the only way the declaration of freedom comes, is no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20, remember the secret? Galatians 2.20. There is nothing less independent than a free citizen. You want to be free? Be wholly dependent upon Christ. What's that mean? That means freedom to do what's right. You have no ability to do what's right apart from Christ. There will never be a society that will be governed, that will be proper, that will survive without a heart that's governed before God. You see, what Paul is declaring is the only freedom that we can ever experience on this earth is freedom in Christ. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Freedom is the independence of the dependent and the responsibility of the grateful, which just simply means my relationship to Christ is one of a get-to, not a have-to. And as a result, my life is forever changed. The question comes with this, who governs you? Who governs you? The Judaizers were saying, the law does. Well, who writes the laws? Those in positions of power. And all they have to do is rewrite the laws. And we watch as God is removed from the equation and they usurp all the authority. And in the absence of God, we have socialism and communism, totalitarianism, and billions of people die, all created in the image of God and they're wiped off the face of the earth. Because one man decides what is right and what is wrong apart from the scriptures. And Paul says, that's not good news, that's awful. Laws don't save us, God does. And the beauty of this freedom in Christ is it's one that comes with a covenant. It's a relationship. You see, it's like Christian marriage. Christian marriage doesn't mean that either member of the couple owns the other. I don't know my wife. She doesn't own me. But rather, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Freedom, in this sense, is the birthright of those who belong. We belong to Christ. We have that freedom and that covenant relationship with the Lord. But Paul will also declare in the study of this epistle that true freedom, true freedom always comes based on truth. Real freedom is always based on truth. There's no such thing as bare freedom. Freedom freedom is always tempered. Freedom is always tempered within a framework of truth and virtue. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. 
We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or virtue. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and virtue or happiness. That's our Declaration of Independence. 235 plus years we've been under that same birth certificate why every nation on the earth has has cycled through multiple governments. Because our founding fathers understood that true liberty comes with virtue and truth. Life is an inalienable right endowed by our Creator. We are in a covenant relationship with Him. And with that relationship, with that covenant relationship comes liberty. And in that liberty, we are given the ability in a covenant relationship with that God to then pursue virtue, which will bring us happiness because in Christ is the fullness of joy. It's not found anywhere else. But liberty can only be protected when a heart is yielded to the God who owns it. The one who's come to set the captives free. When we reject that God and we think that rules will save us, we are then in bondage. There will not be enough prisons to hold all of our failures. You've already proven that as I have. You raised your hand. You remember? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Freedom is not choice so much as right choice, good choice, and wise choice. It's amazing that when everything is permissible in a society, when everything is permissible in a society, no one is truly free. It's ironic, but not accidental, that millions of Americans in the land of the free are in recovery groups of one addiction or another. Because we've removed God. And there's no freedom apart from God. That's the good news. And as Paul said to the church at Galatia, and this is what I close with, he says, I am an apostle not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You know, Paul would say that I had a thorn in my side and I prayed that God would remove it. He prayed multiple times that God would remove it. Some people say it was his blindness because he'd been kicked and left for dead and he was possibly blind as he would say, see, I signed this in my own hand. Others thought that maybe, you know, it was some sort of a temptation or a struggle that he asked God to take away and he never did. I am of the belief and I'll go to my grave and you can agree or disagree. It's irrelevant to me. I am going to go to my grave and believe that the thorn in Paul's side was the fact that none of the other apostles recognized that Paul was an apostle. They, they, you didn't see Jesus alive. I did on the road to Damascus. I was knocked off my high horse. He, he instructed me. Yeah, but you didn't walk with him like we did. And, and when Judas fa- fell, we, we selected another one. There's only supposed to be 12. Paul says, all I know is that I was called to be an apostle. 
Oh, good. Christians hated him because he used to persecute the Christians. Jews hated him because he abandoned Judaism. He was a penny looking for change. And he never pulled his authority, never pulled his rank till he got to this one right here. Because he looked at the Judaizers and he says, I know your game. I know you. You're all about the law and I lived it my whole life and it gave me nothing but bondage. And you want to put these precious, precious people into bondage. You leave. I know how he feels. When Jehovah's Witnesses come down my block, I am going to follow them to every door of my neighbor's house and contend with them. Get off my block. You bring some Mormon elders down, I'll do the same thing. You're not putting my neighbors in bondage. You come and you're dressed nicely and you have the suit and you have your name badge. And you talk about your celestial and your terrestrial and your celestial heavens. You talk about the doctrine of covenants and the pearl of great price. But it's bondage. It's bondage because if I look at you and I say to you, as an elder, if you died right now, what heaven would you be in? Well, it depends on how we've observed the law. There. You have been saved by grace. You've been saved by observation of the law. And if you're in one of those higher heavens, it's because you're better than I am because you've worked harder. That's pride. It's by grace you've been saved, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Don't come here with that lie. And I got news for you. If I'm right and you're wrong, which I know I am, there won't be a heaven waiting for you. You'll stand before God and give an accounting of your life, and you're going to tell him that you are good? Good compared to who? Me? I'm not the standard. You can win any day on that one. You're going to stand before God. There are none righteous. No, not one. Are you kidding me? You're going to stand in your own righteousness before a God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand? You've rejected his son and salvation by grace, and you're going to tell God, let me in to the highest heaven? You'll get the big L. No. Depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. There's only one way into heaven. It's through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. His righteousness put on your account. You don't declare your own righteousness. You declare his by faith. And I look at them and I say, let's say you're right and I'm wrong. I'll just slide in in one of your heavens. Because you declare there's no hell. Boy, that's convenient. And you get everyone to do your bidding and you go door to door and you bondage people. The only way out is through suicide. And that's why it's so high in Utah. And Jehovah's Witnesses, even worse. And the tragedy and the travesty of that, the awful sickness of that bondage. Get off my block and get out of my neighborhood. The Apostle Paul looks at these Judaizers and he is livid with them. I know your game. He says, not only am I an apostle, and I'm going to pull that trump card and whether people agree or not. I don't go from city to city and get kicked through the streets like a soccer ball and reside in prisons because I'm going to get something out of it. I've planted these churches through blood, sweat, and tears. I have been a tent maker. I've never asked a dime from you. And you can testify as with all the people in these churches 
that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says to you, Judaizers, you're in trouble. He speaks to the churches in Galatia. He says, you all know that I served you. You know I labored with you. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the only two things that I ever gave you when I walked into your region was grace and peace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Your salvation is not of your own. It's what Christ did for you. His righteousness was put on your account. It was God's riches at Christ's expense. Christ paid the penalty so you could be saved. And you know what that did for you? It gave you peace with God. And now you have the peace of God. And you remember that it was by grace. And that's where the peace came from. Those are the two things. It's the Siamese twins of the New Testament that Paul would declare in all of his epistles. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to him to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, he gave himself for your sins. I remember a veteran. I remember a veteran in Coronado. His left arm was missing from here down. His sleeve was always folded up. I heard him say it twice. He was a friend of our family. He was old at the time. He was a World War II veteran. People would say, you lost your arm in the war. He'd say, no. I gave it. I gave it. I didn't lose anything. I gave it. That's the price of freedom. I gave it. Freedom isn't free. Christ secured it. He gave himself for your sins and mine. That's the cost of freedom. He gave it. No man took his life. He laid it down. Willingly. To set the captives free. Why? That he might deliver us from this present evil age. And the evil age are the liars that come in to steal your freedom. The ones that say it can be found in rules and regulations. There's no freedom but that which is secured by a people who love God and are called according to his purpose. No nation will survive. No freedom will be secure that rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ. This epistle transformed the Western world. And now we abandon it. But not here and not today. This is a resurgence of liberty. And there's no one who's more free than he who is dependent upon God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.